0: This is NASA in Silicon Valley episode 12. Today's guest is Elisa Quintana, NASA research scientist for the Kepler and K2 mission. We discuss how NASA's exploration spans the universe and is looking beyond to worlds around other stars. We go into how NASA is able to detect and confirm exoplanets using various methods and space telescopes. Without any further delay, here is Elisa Quintana. So tell us a little bit about how, like, how what brought you to Silicon Valley, what brought you to NASA, how did you end up here in the first place?
1: Okay, so I studied physics in and graduate school, and was I here or in, or were... in Michigan.
0: Nice. Um, where, on up... hand.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, where on the hand? Ann Arbor. Where on the hand? Ann
0: Arbor. Ann Arbor. I was born in Ann Arbor.
1: <laughs> really? Yeah, oh, I'm a Midwesterner. Okay, so. but I grew um, up in Ohio.
0: But okay, <laughs> so oh, cool. You went
1: to school and, in Ann Arbor. Yeah, but up until that point, I had no idea that I was going to work for NASA. Okay. You know, it was never, I mean, I grew up in a small town in New Mexico okay. where, you know, people are into agriculture. Like, yeah. there's not really science or models or anything. So it never yeah. really crossed my mind uh, this is something I could do, really. Yeah. And so growing up, my grades are sort of rocky, depended <laughs> on my, like, there one year, my mom found a report card one time and. There's one year I had straight A's and the next one who was like D's and worse. And really? she's like, how did I not know? <laughs> like, so I was one of those students where... <laughs> it
0: could have gone one of... You could work for just, NASA or it could go completely different.
1: Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And, and really, the reason is because I didn't have a focus. I didn't... You know, there wasn't this big dream that I had and... You know yeah. that I wanted to pursue, and so I was just kind of You didn't look out lost. in the
0: stars and decide I'm going to work for NASA. No,
1: not at all. I was I was just sort of lost, and it actually wasn't until I was at a com- community college, Okay. Grossmont Community College in Southern California, and um, I think at some point I started taking some math classes, okay. and I just sort of liked it, and I and then I started taking physics classes. I didn't do well, and well, where,
0: so this is like like high school No no you're done. you're in community college. Mm-hmm. You just happened to be taking math classes that you enjoyed?
1: Well, right. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm trying to see if this is like this is an interesting story. Go well, on. Well, I remember taking a calculus class well, okay, I was still lost because uh, my first year at a community college, I was taking all dance. Like nice. dance, okay. and modern dance, and ballet, and like one chemistry class. And your parents and were very proud, I'm sure. They were just happy I was keeping myself busy with some type of school. <laughs> and, and so I remember taking a, a calculus class and getting into it and, and realizing I kind of like that challenge. And mm-hmm. I took a physics class that I got like C and I think. Um, okay, and solving I solving puzzles. It. I mean I think I always liked science when I was young but I it just wasn't something I was going to ever mm-hmm. do. And yeah I was like solving puzzles. Yeah. And slowly I started um sort of getting interested in it more and more and at some point I decided like this or I realized that you know this is something that interests me and I could actually transfer to a college and, okay. and at the time uh, community colleges in California had a what they call a tag it's a transfer agreement mm-hmm. program. And that's really how I got into. Is it that just to, with, like
0: within the schools in California? I or believe is it Wives so. Thing? Yeah. I
1: had uh, wonderful and also very challenging classes at that my community awesome. college. Um, whereas you know those types of intro classes, you don't get as much you know attention when you're in these big you when, know, you, big big when <laughs> you're in an
0: auditorium of 300 people Absolutely. and they're all freshmen and or they're trying to weed out who really wants to stay, you know, right, right, who right. really cares about staying at this university? So. Right,
1: right, so. So I transferred to UC San Diego, and I learned. At some point, I learned that Sally Ride, you know America's first woman astronaut in space, from the Bay Area, (laughs) uh, I believe, was a physics professor there. Oh, Mm -hmm. really? And so she was. Wait, did Sally Ride teach one of your classes? She wasn't teaching at okay, the time. But, she was, but of, she was an advisor. So I realized, oh, if I go into physics. That is the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, so. I thought if I. Because I still wanted. I didn't know if I wanted to do aerospace engineering or. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do something in engineering or science. Okay. But I thought if I do physics, I could have her as my advisor. And that'd be cool, <laughs> right? Yes. And that's what I did. And I ended up. <laughs> did, did it working. work out? Yeah, she was my advisor. Oh, that's awesome. But, that's actually all the interesting
0: ways to pick your major and to pick what you're yeah, doing. But. It was
1: really silly. I remember going into a meeting with her, you know, with my spreadsheet and going, oh, yeah, you know, she had to oversee that I was doing everything right. And she just like checked things. She, yep, you're fine. And she's probably rolling her eyes like, why did I even she's like, bother?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Go on your way.
1: When really I just wanted to meet her at that time, right?
0: <laughs> oh, that is too funny.
1: Um. So she had a program. That was a sort of her pet project at UC San Diego, and it was a space-related program consisted of a uh, camera on the space shuttle, because at the time they were still doing space shuttle launches. Okay. And the space station Mir, the Russian Mir, was still up. Okay. And so she had this program where they would use cameras on board those that looked at Earth, and she would involve middle school um, students across the country to okay. participate in this program and in doing sort of remote sensing. And so... The kids would go. Oh, I want to study like the Galapagos Islands. And then really? we had a little miniature mission operations center at UCSD, um, where we would coordinate and figure mm-hmm. out where the spatial tracks were going over, and you know, oh, late, we would go to Johnson. And so it sort of made us feel like we were in this little mission operations. A little mini space camp for it was. for college students. <laughs> it, was it was. pretty much that. <laughs> well, and and ever since then, uh, then I've been affiliated with NASA in some form.
0: Wow, and then that brought you all the way to Ann Arbor, Mm -hmm. and then was that for master's or doctorate? Uh, both. Both, oh, there you go.
1: Yeah, so I went to Michigan, Um, I thought, I grew up in San Diego, I went to college there, and I thought I'd try something new, Mm -hmm. and so I went to Michigan. And <laughs> I know you're born there, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, yeah.
0: I was young. I think I had
1: a little culture shock <laughs> because. Coming
0: I had, from Southern California to Michigan, yeah, yeah there's going to be some culture shock.
1: And yeah, it makes me sound bratty, but I really, it was the first time I was uh, I was away from home. Yeah. And, you know, it was the first year of grad school and grad school is hard at the beginning. <laughs> yes. And so I was kind of depressed and, like, oh, I don't know. I don't like it. Yeah. But, and so I found a way. I found out that NASA had these uh, fellowships for gra- graduate students. Okay, I'm not sure if they still have them, they're called GSRPs, okay. uh, Graduate Student Researchers Program, and then it allows uh, graduate students to interact with a NASA scientist at a center. Okay. Uh, normally how it works is you stay at your institution and you go there for a summer. Okay, Um, But I somehow managed to do it opposite. (laughs) Oh,
0: really? So you had to stay at a NASA center and then go back to school every
1: once in a while? And so I arranged, um, In my first choice was actually JPL. I thought, I know I wanted to come back to California. LA,
0: wonderful weather.
1: (laughs) And I remember spending so much time on this application. It was to do radio science. And as a last-minute backup, I wrote one for NASA Ames. Awesome. And I spent probably weeks on this first one and then i'm like oh just do you know just in case and then i didn't get the one i wanted but But i got the one up here in bay area nice which at the time i was kind of shocked i I didn't know what to think of it yeah yeah. it was such a blessing in disguise oh yeah it was on exoplanets exoplanets were just starting out and wow so i sort of yeah i sort of got here by just a a lot of, of random incidents.
0: <laughs> That's a lot how life is, mm-hmm. you know, things just kind of stumble together and what, what you think is like a disappointment ends up being a really cool opportunity that you didn't even realize. Yeah,
1: it. and i had heard about exoplanets because uh, Sally Ride had one graduate student when mm-hmm. I was there and one of his projects was to do something with uh, exoplanets and I remember he showed me this plot of, of the planets and so this was 1996, I think. Mm-hmm and there were maybe 6 or 7 exoplanets Yeah. but i had never that just that thought never crossed my mind that there could be other planets around other stars yeah
0: this is just for the people if, if like you know I, most people i think listening would be familiar with exoplanets but like planets around other stars and mm-hmm. other solar systems mm-hmm. um, and that was a big thing of what the kepler what you're working on now yes. that's a big thing of like it's it's hunt, hunting for you know exoplanets hunting for other other planets did you when you started at Ames, was it as that project was getting off of its feet, or was first proposed? Because I don't know it was like it was it came up, and then it went down. It was like a whole mix of how it finally got funded and went through. Yeah.
1: So when I came to Ames, it was actually to work on a project called Vulcan. and It okay. was a camera at Lick. Nice. And it was by Bill who was heading it. He's yeah. a principal investigator of Kepler of the Kepler mission. Yeah. And it was basically to do some proof of concept, you know, mm-hmm. could we use this transit photometry method? And transit photometry yeah. is when you m- monitor the brightness of a star and if you see little dips, it might indicate a that a planet's dip. crossing in front. Because back,
0: even back then, like, it, it was questionable if, if exoplanets were even a thing. Like, a lot mm-hmm. of people thought that it would be, but there was no proof and it wasn't really sure.
1: Mm-hmm. So, I guess... Yeah, it's funny um, when people talk about the first exoplanet because peop- so the first like a exoplanet false positive found- or something. Or, yeah. yeah, so there was 51 Peg was announced in 1995, and that was sort of the big news, right? Yay. Yeah, they, and they, then we there were this. planets found around a pulsar a few mm-hmm. years before that, but then there was a group in Canada and Dave Latham at Harvard CfA that okay. both discovered objects that later became that were. Um, in the 80s, late 80s, that yeah. later turned out to be exoplanets. So, they, just, so they, they
0: didn't really understand what they had discovered. Yeah, yeah. well, one,
1: I guess, or they thought it was something the Canadian else. group, I think, they thought it was a planet and later retracted it because the sufficient, it wasn't uh, the, the- They weren't sure enough. They weren't sure enough. Um, Latham's, I think, it was a brown dwarf at first and it turned into planet, Like I a hot
0: Jupiter or and, something like yeah. that, yeah.
1: And so nobody really, I mean, how do you say what's a first, but- Yeah,
0: how would you know? And wow. it's not until after you get all this other info that you look back and I'm
1: like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> they right, were right. right. They were onto something and didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. But regardless, you know, twenty five years ago wow. we didn't have any. Yeah, yeah.
0: and we, we knew of the nine
1: planets in our solar system, right? Yeah. <laughs> and
0: <laughs> back then it was nine.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, so going back to yeah. uh, Vulcan. So Bill, at the time, Bill Brooky had been proposing Kepler for a long time. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure when it actually got approved. Um, yeah. But. By the time I I arrived, it was 1999. Uh, there were some people ramping up from this Vulcan project into Kepler and just starting okay. out. Okay. And so I I didn't start working.
0: It's kind of transition from one project at, with exoplanets yeah. to another one to the telescope. So there was a
1: handful of people working on Kepler back then, but I didn't really join the team till 2006. Okay. And and mainly I was working on planet formation models for my thesis. Okay. So I worked with um, Jack Lissauer. He does. Uh, okay. Planet formation basically is known for you know, developing theories of planet formation in our solar system. And once all these planets started coming out and you see all these oddballs, um, yeah. it basically made everyone rethink theories. And so it's been really fun. It's been fun participating in Kepler, and it's also been fun looking at the evolution of these planet formation yeah. theories.
0: Well, I'd imagine when it first started off, people, I mean, you would assume that Planet formation forms the same way as it does here. Mm -hmm. You know, rocky planets towards the center, more bigger, gaseous things outside. But as I understand it, like some of the first exoplanets found were the big Jupiter-like ones. That's right. And some of them really, really close. And it's like,
1: oh, wait, aren't these gassy ones supposed to be on the far outside? Mm -hmm. Like, maybe we're wrong on this. I think that was one of the biggest surprises. And it's almost comical that... The first planet we found was, a, was like, Jupiter in a four-day orbit. Like, <laughs> and it's, you know, and then you wonder why people were doubting it. So it mm-hmm. had to have
0: been super close. How does
1: something not, like, get absorbed by I that star? I, I think that's know. the question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, nobody, yeah. People are still actually trying to figure that out.
0: So, like, uh, so what have you guys learned, in, like, from, you know, your thesis and trying to figure out these models of how solar systems form? What are some of the things that you guys have learned? Is it just there's a whole lot of diversity? So,
1: or? So as far as solar type stars, um, we're well, we're finding all types of diversity around all types of stars. Wow! Um, we so Kepler observed for four years. We still don't have enough information to know if Jupiter's are common out where Jupiter is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an eleven year orbit, you know, and so um, it's only with radial velocity that we're. Getting enough data for over 11 years, where we can see if we are finding in those. the
0: radial velocity. That's different uh, from the dip yes. of light. Yes. So, we'll go so that's that.
1: the radial velocity method is a different method where you um, can uh, you can see changes in the stars. Um, is it the, the wobble? Gravity, due to, yes. Okay. <laughs> due to the planet tugging on it, basically. Okay. So the star there, will, yes.
0: Yeah, because there's different ways of detecting exoplanets. And yes. you mentioned the first one. Is, is it the transit? Transit. Photology? Um So that's basically looking at a bright st- object, little dip, and so you know, you, or you can deduce that there was a planet going yes. across. The then the wobble method, as I affectionately call it. Yes. <laughs> it, it, the whole idea is a planet. Like gravity between objects, it's that planet's tugging on the star just a little bit, and the star's yes. tugging on the planet, and so you just get the star gets a little bit of a wobble in it.
1: That's right. Okay. And and they use methods spectroscopy, like to um to actually measure these okay. you know, little like changes. How some. much
0: wobble? I like probably estimates how yeah. what the what how big the planet is. I'm guessing.
1: Ah, uh, so so that's interesting. So the wobble method will provide you with minimum mass, and so. Okay. For example, Proxima b, they have a minimum mass of 1.3 Earth masses. Um, Kepler and And, other... That was
0: the ESO, the European space... Yes,
1: that was the the, um, uh, roughly Earth-sized planet found around Proxima Centauri, which is our closest star to our sun. Yes. That's right. Um, But uh, their method doesn't get the size. And so Kepler and other transit photometry methods um, are opposite. They only get the size. We don't get the masses. And okay. if you want composition, you know, it's just it's simple physics, the density, you know, you need a mass and a size. Okay. It's mass per volume. So mm, you need yes. a mass and a size in order to determine if it's rocky, if it's icy, if it's a Jupiter like, you know, if it's okay. Mercury. And so for someone to come out and say this planet is Earth like, you really need mass and size. And okay. So so the best planets are ones where you can get both transit observations and Radial velocity combining measurements these two from the ground. measures. Mm-hmm. Okay. And of the 3,300 planets plus that we have now, there's a surprisingly small number of planets that we actually have both. Like oh, really? So, like, I would, I think it's about several dozen for planets that are smaller than about two Earth radii. Now, does Kepler
0: get. Like capture data for both of those types or is Kepler mainly just looking at transit methods?
1: Kepler's only doing transit. Okay. That's right.
0: But there's other telescopes and other instrumentation yeah. and it's kind of like with the, all that data combined, yes, you that's can right. get you can come up with more than what somebody would discover on their own.
1: Yes. So so the, so mostly it's Kepler finding these planets, having sizes, and then uh, astronomers getting kick time or time on other telescopes. Okay. To gather radi- the wobble method, radial velocity measurements. I know, and I, really
0: I, know I, to I butchered it. A lot of people, the internet is exploding because I called it the wobble method.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so for the planet Proxima B that they discovered, if it were to transit, you could get a, a lot more information about it. So okay. right now, it could be rocky, but you know it could even be like Earth three Earth masses, no, okay. we don't know. It's a minimum 1.3 Earth masses. <gasps> okay, that's just the minimum of um, what you're looking at. But the problem is the probability of it transiting. Mm-hmm. Um, the probability of it crossing in front of its star from us here on Earth is plane. less than 2%. Oh, so it's
0: really? really small. But there okay. are teams looking. Uh,
1: okay. David Kipping at Columbia has a, has a group doing uh, monitoring looking for transits. Yeah, so that, it's like high risk high reward if they found it that'd be amazing. We could okay. see is it really earth-like and you know
0: oh well I, I imagine for you know the planet hunting that mm-hmm. that's a big deal of, of like you know that transit method but like you know the orientation of what that star and its orbital plane is to us mm-hmm. we're lucky if mm-hmm. it passes in front because it could be having planets could be rotating around but from our point of view it would be around it mm-hmm.
1: you right. know, and
0: we would never see that transit. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, and so that's why Kepler has to look at lots of stars. <laughs> because the probability of it actually transiting is is pretty low. Oh.
0: So, so what, what are you looking at right now in a lot of your research?
1: So since I've been at Ames, uh, I've been working on both planet formation models and working on Kepler data, looking for planets. Okay. And what I like to do is sort of combine them. And so, you know, you start out with, you know, back... And when I first got here, we had the, this really nice model of, of how the solar system formed. Okay. And basically, it uh, it's this core accretion. You know, you have a disk around the sun, and and basically, okay. bodies hit and grow and hit and grow and grow yeah, into planets.
0: coalesce, and then mm-hmm. you know, and the centrifugal force and keeps it on the plane. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
1: um, so then we start finding all these different solar systems, and then so we use that information to constrain uh, um, our our theories. Okay. And we can also use our theories to sort of predict what we might find for NASA's next missions. Which, and should so, uh, which I guess the next mission will be TESS. It's a transiting exoplanet survey satellite. But okay. one example would be um, M-dwarfs. So we're finding lots okay. of planets around M-dwarfs. Uh,
0: clarify, an M-dwarf, M uh, similar star- to our sun, bigger, smaller? Uh, i dwarfs smaller.
1: smaller. <laughs> <laughs> they're stars that are smaller and cooler. Okay. So they range in size from 10%, the size of our sun, to 50% okay. the size of our sun. And so they're the whole different class of objects. Um, but we're finding lots of planets around these types of stars. Really? And the reason that these types of stars are important is because most stars in the galaxy are M-dwarfs. So more than seventy percent of the stars in our galaxy are M dwarfs.
0: Okay, and so if those, those are, are having planets around them, yes, but, yeah. that has
1: huge implications. So. Yeah, and so if you take, um, if you imagine a disk around a Sun-like star, mm-hmm. and and this is the model people have been using to form planets yeah. from, uh, if you were to scale that down to to sort of around an M dwarf, yeah, um, then it doesn't leave you enough material to really form an Earth. And, oh, okay. And so, and and people think that the disks scale with stars, you know. So okay. So the disks are So, uh, so when a star is newly formed, it yes. usually leaves a residual disk. Okay. And and then planets form from so it. So figure
0: big store, big stars, big, big residual disk, disks, bigger yes. planets. Smaller, you get everything kind of shrinks together.
1: Yes, and so that's been the idea. Um, however, we're now <laughs> finding lots of Earths around these small stars. And if theories are telling us we don't have that much material to make them, you know, it's a big puzzle. And so what that means, um, in fact, the TRAPPIST system was was an amazing discovery because the TRAPPIST star was 0.08 times the mass of the sun, which is literally the smallest a star can be and still burn. So it's… Okay. It's the on the lowest size, lowest it's end of the end a forth, Barely a star. Barely a star. Okay. And it has a system of at least three Earths. There's hints that there could be as much as five. Wow. And it's just puzzling how they formed. We don't know. Yeah. And so that's sort of making us take our, our formation models and say, okay, we need to invoke some different mechanisms. They must have formed either, you know, very far and migrated inwards or something. Right. <laughs> and so so that's just one example, the M-dwarfs, um, that have just brought up all these new puzzles to planet formation theory. And we're finding disks, um, uh, planets around two stars, circumbinary mm-hmm. planets, and um, a lot of those planets we're finding um, are, are sort of big gas, or giant, or Saturn, or Jupiter-like planets. Okay. Um, the orbit sort of almost at the stabili- stability limit so if okay. they got any closer they wouldn't be stable cuz the binary stars would oh. kick them out okay and and so why aren't we finding earth there you yeah. know it's just um, it's this whole population that provides another puzzle for people there's to think another, about. Yeah. So. Just, just back from when you're in school, solving puzzles, <laughs> right. and you're just
0: continuing that. Excellent. So, for anybody who's interested in learning more about Kepler and about exoplanets, you can go to kepler.nasa.gov. And if you have any questions for Elisa, uh, there's at yeah. NASA Kepler. Um, when we are at, at NASA Ames, and we're using the hashtag NASA Silicon Valley. Thank you so much for coming.
1: Yes, thanks for having me. This is fun.